And thank you so much, Sam, and the rest of the music team for leading us in worship through song. Really, the, the goal of our gathering together is to live out that song, to just say with our very lives, Jesus, thank you. Uh, living sacrifices, pleasing to him. What a joy to gather together. If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and take them and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. First of all, I just want to say how grateful I am to our brother Sergio for bringing the word last Lord's Day. What a joy to be reminded and challenged, encouraged, and comforted by the Great Commission. Such an amazing passage, such an amazing bookend to everything we looked at from Matthew 21 with the triumphal entry to Matthew 27 with Good Friday to Matthew 28 with Resurrection Sunday and then the end of Matthew 28. It was just a, an amazing service, an amazing sermon last week. Thank you so much, brother, for bringing the word. Secondly, by way of introduction, we ended our sermon series through the book of Daniel the week before Palm Sunday. Then we studied Palm Sunday, then we studied Good Friday, then we studied Resurrection Sunday, then we looked at the Great Commission last Lord's Day. So this Sunday would normally be the beginning of our next sermon series, which is going to be going through the, the Gospel of Mark. I've been looking forward to this for many years now. I'm so excited to dive in and just stare at Christ in the Gospel of Mark. But because today is the women's retreat, I didn't want to begin that sermon series with uh, most of our women gone. And so I figured since our women are gone, and I know that there are many here this morning, but since uh, several are gone, I figured I would take this opportunity to do something very different, a standalone sermon that's directed towards the men. And specifically, I want to direct this towards husbands. Now, if I've already lost you by saying that, because you say I'm not a husband or I'm not a man, I just want to, to say that I believe that this sermon is still for you. Let me encourage you in a couple ways. Number one, if you are a man who is not yet married, this is the kind of man that you should aspire to be. So if you're not married, but you want to be, listen in on what God would have for you to be when you are married. If you're a man who does not desire to be married, that's fine too. These qualities are not just for husbands. You can live these qualities out in varying degrees with varying relationships that you have even in our local church. So this passage is still going to encourage you to change maybe the way that you would live out the love of Christ with those around you. If you're a wife here today, you should be listening in because this will give you a lot of ammunition to encourage your husband and not in a bad way. Anytime that you see things that are going the way that the Bible says that they should, you will be able to praise the Lord for the way that you see God's hand of grace in his life. If you're a woman here who wants to be married, you're not yet married, but you want to be married, I want to encourage you to listen in because this is the kind of man that you want to marry. So don't settle for anything less than this kind of a man. We say a lot at our church, there is a fate worse than not being married. A lot of people think that that's impossible. I just need to get married. Nope. There's something worse than that. It's being married to the wrong person. Being married to the wrong man who does not strive every day to live these things out. It would be better to not be married at all 
than to be married to a man who does not live these principles out. And finally, if you are a woman here this morning who does not want to be married, does not have a desire to be married, that's okay. You can still encourage other men as you see them living this out. And you can encourage women to look for these men and to see the evidences of God's grace in their life as they live this out. So there's no one excluded from this message. Even though I'm specifically speaking to husbands, there's no one excluded from this. And lastly, but definitely not least, all of the realities that we're going to look at this morning are grounded in the gospel. So this message is for everyone because this message is about the gospel. No one is exempt from listening this morning and learning. So what I want to do this morning is I want to read our text, Ephesians chapter 5, a very familiar passage to many of you. And as we read it, I want to zero in on one word. The entire sermon is about one word that's in this text. You remember the, the Puritans? If you've ever read any work by the Puritans, you know how they would take one word and they'd write tones on that one word. I'm going to kind of do that this morning. I'm going to take one word. It's not going to be Puritan-esque because I'm not writing a book and it's not going to be uh, the same way that the Puritans would do it. But I want to take one word and I want to drill down as deeply as we can in 45 minutes and understand the gravity of this word. Before we read this passage, I, I want to ask you, husbands, if you had to describe your marriage in just one word, what would it be? For you wives here this morning, if you were to describe your marriage in just one word, what would it be? Peaceful? Argumentative? Loving? Difficult? Just, eh. How would you describe your marriage? Because I believe that this text, and specifically this one word in this text, will set your marriage on fire for the Lord and will change everything about it. And I just want to say up front, and then we'll read this text. I want to say up front, I have two main goals this morning. I have two main goals as we dive into this text. Goal number one an overarching goal for CBC as a whole on into the next decades together as a church family. I want CBC to be known for godly marriages, for strong, godly marriages. And not strong in the sense of we have men who are strong leaders who assert their will. No. I want strong marriages that have the aura of the love of Jesus Christ tenderly loving, compassionately serving, dying every day to serve and care for the needs of their wife. So I want us as a church to just have, to be known for godly, amazing marriages. And secondly, my goal is that that would start today. I want our wives to say, when we get home and we see them, because they're probably going to get home before we do, when we get home and we see them and we start talking with them, I hope and pray that some of your wives would say, who are you and what did you do with my husband? I want you to be so alien and foreign to your wife when you go home that you would today change the way that you live your life in front of your wife. So 
Those are high goals. Those are lofty goals. And those are impossible goals apart from the Lord doing that work in us. So let's read our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. And we will ask God's blessing as we dive in. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the body because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Father, we thank you so much for the songs that we've already sung that have highlighted the beauty of the gospel of your amazing love towards us. And Father, as we dive into a passage that is so practical, I pray that we would see everything in this text in light of and in reference to the love of Christ for us. That we would love our wives the way that Christ loves us. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we'd behold wonderful things from your law. We need your help. And we come dependent, hopeful, expectant, and excited to see what you will show us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. There is one word in this text that I believe will literally change everything about your marriage. And I wonder if you caught the word. There are many truths in this text, don't get me wrong. There are many massively important truths that must be rightly understood and correctly lived out. But there's one word that stands out from all of the others that will truly differentiate beautiful Christ-exalting marriages from ones that are just getting by. And I, I don't want that for any of you. I don't want a marriage that is just limping along, just barely getting by. I want you to be in a marriage that is filled with, with love and Christ-like life-giving encouragement. And I think if you were to commit yourself wholeheartedly to this one word, it would breathe new life into your marriage. That word is found in verse 29. And the word is cherish. The word is cherish. And this morning, I want to ask three questions of this word. Number one, what does this word mean? Number two, what does it look like lived out in our marriages? And number three, how can we apply it Today, number one, what does it mean? Number two, what does it look like lived out in our marriages? And number three, how can we apply this word to our lives today? So number one, let's define it. What does this word mean? Paul says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So Jesus cherishes the church. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So husbands are to cherish their wives. So what does cherish mean? Well, this word is only used twice in the Greek New Testament. The other time is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So turn there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
This is the only other time that this Greek word is used in the New Testament. First Thessalonians chapter two, Paul uses it in verse seven. We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother, here's our word, tenderly cares for her own children. Tenderly cares for. Why? Verse eight, having so fond an affection for you. So tenderly cares for is the same Greek word as cherish in Ephesians chapter five. So cherishing has this idea of affectionately, tenderly caring for somebody. Literally can be used to mean to give heat or to give warmth, to put your arm around somebody and keep them warm. It's used to mean tenderly caring for. It's used to mean to give rest to somebody, to give them peace. And it's used to speak of a fond affection that is not harsh, but is soft and gentle. So cherishing has to do with tenderness. It has to do with holding something as precious and valuable and treating them that way. Now, you might be asking, and it would be a good question to ask, why is cherish the word we're looking at and not love? Because love really is the main point of Ephesians chapter 5. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then verse, uh, 20, or verse 33 in Ephesians chapter 5, we are as Hudson's to love his own wife. So love is the bookends. That's the word that's bookending this section. So love really is the foundation of this section. So why do I zero in on the word cherish. Here's why. My wife and I have been able to do uh, marriage, premarital counseling, marriage counseling. We've done several years of that, being able to hear from marriages that are seeking to glorify the Lord, follow the Lord, and love the Lord. And here's something that we hear often. A wife will come to my wife or to my wife and I and say, you know, I'm really struggling in marriage. And we'll say, let's sit down, let's get together. And they'll say, I just don't feel like my husband loves me. I don't feel like my husband loves me. And the response that is given is usually the husband saying, I work really hard for you. I serve you. I pay the bills. I take care of the needs that you have. I provide for you. I fix things around the house that are broken. I do all of these things for you. How is that not communicating love? I love you. And these are the reasons that these are the things that I do because of the reason of me loving you. And the wife will say something to the effect of, I really appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. But that's not what makes me feel loved. Why is this? Is the husband not loving his wife? No, the husband is loving his wife. The husband's loving by sacrificing, serving, providing. But I would say what is missing is the husband is not cherishing his wife in a way that makes her feel loved. Therefore, I would submit to you that love without cherish, it's not really love at all. It's just doing tasks. Men, we're good at doing tasks. And that's why I think that this is an often a problem in marriages where men work as hard as they possibly can and they say, this is my communication of love to you. And wives say, I don't feel loved. I don't feel loved. This is why I love Vodi Bauckham's definition of love. Vodi Bauckham has a great definition of love. Love is an act of the will accompanied by emotion that works, that acts on behalf of the one that it loves. So three parts. It's an act of the will. Love is first and foremost a choice. It's an act of the will. You choose to love. 
And honestly, I think that that is something that us as husbands tend to do well. I will love it, love you whether or not I feel like it. And it works, it acts on behalf of the one that you love. But there's that middle portion, it's accompanied by emotion. And I think that's cherishing our wives. It's accompanied by emotion. Many husbands miss the accompanied by emotions part. Husbands, can I just plead with you? Do not be emotionless. Do not be emotionless. Now, I've heard many the justification for why you are emotionless. I know that I am more emotional than most men. And I've heard many men tell me, well, but you just don't understand. I'm, I'm an engineer type, right? I'm an engineer type. I'm just, I don't really get emotional. First of all, I'm just going to say this. Our brother Sergio, our brother Sergio's a robot, right? You guys know our brother, right? He's a robot. Did you see what happened last Lord's Day as he was preaching the word of God and the word of God gripped his heart and he became choked up over the truths that he was saying that Christ is always with us? So a robot can feel. Thank you, Sergio, for giving me an example. Plus, you engineer types, I've, went, I've gone golfing with some of you before. And when you shank a ball on the golf course, you definitely have emotions. You don't just look at it and calculate, well, I definitely missed. No, I've seen you play golf. So don't be emotionless. Now, what does cherishing look like? We often cherish things better than we cherish people. So by way of an example, it might be helpful to understand what this looks like just lived out in everyday things. Two examples. Number one, I love guitars. I own several guitars. Some of you own several guitars. I have one guitar that is better than all of the other guitars combined. My dad actually got it for me. It's an amazing guitar. I love everything about it. So if we go on a beach trip and I bring my guitar, that's not the one I'm bringing. I have a guitar. It was about $70 from Costco. That's the guitar that I bring to the beach. Because honestly, if a beached whale were somehow able to roll over it and smash into smithereens, I would say, who cares? And why is the beached whale rolling onto my guitar? But my other guitar, it's truly priceless to me. My, my guitars that I just, I'm able to beat up, they can get dirty, who cares? When I restring them, I restring them with strings that I used on my good guitar. And I take those off and I just throw them on that. That's good enough for that. It's not that I don't like those guitars. Those guitars just are not precious to me. But my good guitar, oh my word. When I take my strings off that guitar, it's like I, I talk to it. I mean, literally I speak to my guitar. I have three different types of rags that I use to clean that guitar because they all have three different purposes. I have a specific kind of wax that I use. I have a spe specific kind of uh, fret cleaner that I use. I oil down the fretboard. I do none of this to my other guitars. I cherish one guitar and the rest I serve. Or maybe it's cars for you. And those of you who have seen my cars know it's not cars for me. <laughs> Cars for me just get me from point A to point B, but some of you have cars that you cherish. You clean them every week. You buy those cover things that you put on them so that the sun doesn't ruin them like it's ruined my car. You, you cherish your car. 
That's what cherishing looks like as opposed to just serving. It's not that I don't love my car. I do, but it has a purpose and it, it effectively does what I ask it to do. And that's all that I need it for. I don't treat it badly, but I definitely don't cherish it. So we either cherish something or we don't. There's no middle ground here. And to truly cherish something is to show it off, to protect it as precious and valuable, to honor it, to say, this is my favorite thing in the world. And we love having other people see and recognize the value that we see in that thing. So my question to you husbands this morning is, do you cherish your wife? Does she feel more precious to you than anything else in this world except for Jesus himself? So that's what cherish is. Number one, we're defining. What is cherish? To tenderly, lovingly hold something as precious, care for it, um, nurture it, be tender and gentle towards it. That's what cherish is. Now, second question, what does it look like lived out practically? What does this look like lived out practically in our marriages? I, I want to give you four examples. There are so many more than this. It's very interesting. We, the idea for this sermon actually came from a leadership meeting that we had or um, a men's meeting that we had a few weeks ago where we were talking about leadership. And in talking about leadership, I said something, I said like two little lines regarding leading our wives by cherishing them. And so all of the, I think I spoke for about an hour on leadership. And then those two little lines of cherishing our wives, that's what most of the men came up to me and said they, they were encouraged by. So I went, you didn't hear any of the leadership stuff. You heard just the cherish your wife stuff. Good. So that means I need to preach on this. So I have a number of examples of what cherishing looks like in a relationship, but I'm just going to go for, for four of them this morning. I'm going to go through four because of the, just time. We, we're not going to have time to go through everything. Number one, let me give you some examples. What does cherishing look like lived out? Number one, cherish delights in our spouse. Cherishing your spouse means you delight in them. Turn to Song of Songs. Turn to Song of Songs, chapter four. Song of Songs, chapter four. Cherishing means that you delight in your spouse. Husbands, does your wife know that you would rather be with her doing anything in the world than be anywhere else? Do you treat her that way? Does she not know it intellectually, but know it emotionally? Do you treat her that way? Sometimes we don't speak that way. Sadly, in the church, especially, I hear such derogatory comments about husbands and wives. You know, I've got the ball and chain, or I'd rather be hanging out with, you know, my, my guy friends than I got to be with my wife tonight. Like, no, 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 your wife needs to know she is the most precious person in the world, and you'd rather be with her than anyone else. I love Song of Solomon chapter four, verse 10. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine. It's better than anything. You could compare it to everything in the world and she's better. She's better. Sometimes kids can get in the way of this. And I know that we have a lot of young families. Sometimes kids can get in the way where you're just serving and loving your kids and they just suck all of your time and energy and emotions and you're exhausted and you really have nothing left to give to your spouse. So I tell my kids a lot. I say, I love you so much. I tell my kids every day, I love you, I'm so proud of you, and I'm so glad you're my son or my daughter. I just love them, shower them with kisses. They're already in the stage of like, get away, dad. Like, 
I love my kids. My kids know that I love them, but I tell them I love your mommy more than I love you. I love your mommy so much more than I love you. I want you to leave me one day, right? I don't ever want my wife to leave. I love my wife more than anyone in the world. Song of Solomon, chapter four, he says, your love is better than anything. It's better than wine. It's better than anything. This changes your marriage from simply a commitment to a precious delight. Husbands, our wives should never in a million lifetimes feel like they are a nuisance to us. That's the exact opposite of cherishing. They need to see our eyes light up and our arms spread wide open to embrace them whenever we see them. Turn to Song of Songs, chapter 6. Song of Songs, chapter 6, verse 8. There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and maidens without number. There are all these women all over the place, Solomon says. But you, my dove, my perfect one, you are unique. You're one of a kind. There's no one else like you. There are all of these women out there, but there's no one like you. I don't want anyone else. I don't want you to be like anyone else. You are everything that I want. So husbands, can we just get practical here? This means that you are always interested in whatever she's interested in. Always. Whenever your spouse says something to you, whenever your wife says something, by the way, this works wives to husbands as well. Whenever your spouse says something to you, they're asking you in that question or in that statement or in whatever they're saying, they're asking you, do you cherish me? Do you love me? Are you interested in me? So husbands, can I just plead with you? Put down the phone, turn off the TV, put down the iPad, turn off the video games. Some of you should fast from video games for six months and just stare at your wife and love her. Love her. Be interested in her. Marriage is like baseball. Your wife is the pitcher. You are the batter. And every time that she speaks to you, she's throwing a pitch. And if you aren't there in the batter's box to hit that ball, even to attempt to hit that ball, you're going to strike out and your batting average will plummet. Now in baseball, batting 350, hitting the ball a little over three out of 10 times is an amazing batting average. Try that in marriage. That's a horrendous marriage to three out of every 10 times your wife talks to be able to connect with her and be interested in what she's saying. That's horrendous. So husbands, are you interested in what your wife is saying? By the way, this is why dating is so intoxicating because every time you get together, you're interested in what the other person's talking about. That's why dating's so intoxicating. But then you get married and you become familiar and you stop asking questions and you stop being interested in each other. I just want to encourage you, you're not married to the same person that you got married to. You are always changing. They are always changing. So stay interested in what they're talking about. Also, vice versa, you be interested in communicating what you love with her. If your first response when anything happens in your life is to go tell your guy friends, then she's not going to feel cherished. Your wife doesn't want 
to know that you simply put up with her or that you're just stuck with her, but you're committed to that. She wants to be cherished. She wants to be cherished. So cherishing delights in your spouse, delights. You just love her more than you love anything in the world. Secondly, cherishing esteems our spouse with highest honor. Cherishing esteems our spouse with highest honor. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, I know that this is a very different kind of a sermon than what we normally do. We normally go verse by verse through a specific book. We're going all over the place this morning. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 7. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with somebody weaker. And that's not just like an idea of weaker physically. There are uh, women um, in the world and some even in this room that could probably beat me up. So it's not just uh, physically weaker. It's not this idea of they are weaker. It's they are more precious to you. They're more valuable to you. The idea of a, a weaker vessel is the idea of someone who um, you have your fine china that you bring out for anniversaries. And then you have those plastic plates and bowls that you give to your kids, right? Don't treat your wife like a plastic bowl that you would just give to your kids. You're okay if it drops on the floor, who cares? No, she is precious. You're careful with her. You, it's hand wash stuff, not throw it in the dishwasher. That's the idea here. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Show her honor. And then verse eight, to sum up all of you, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. The only way you can show her honor is if you are kind-hearted and humble in spirit. This means, husbands, we must never be harsh with our wives, ever. We must be gentle and tender. You can honor somebody, by the way, without cherishing them, but you can never cherish somebody without honoring them. So if you truly cherish your spouse, you will honor her. The opposite of honoring is contempt. It's to disdain them. It's to look down on them. Contempt has an attitude of superiority, speaking down to your spouse, feeling better than them. And you know the phrase familiarity breeds contempt and there's probably nothing more familiar than marriage in this world. So you become familiar with your spouse. You grow contempt in your heart towards your spouse. You are disappointed, which leads to being frustrated, which leads to bitterness, which leads to contempt. And cherishing is a call to go to war against contempt. Contempt doesn't even accomplish anything constructive anyway. So just throw it away. Instead, treat them like the royalty that they are. Protecting them, being a safe place for them, honoring them. That's the idea of cherishing them. Contempt is when you refuse to do that. Cherishing is when you have a protective love for them. So ask yourself this question. Where is my spouse? Fragile, weak, struggling, and how can I protect them? How can I draw enemy fire onto myself and protect them? Husbands, we must be the safest place in the world for our wives. They are judged by so many people around them. They should never feel judgment from us ever. Can I just encourage you with something that my wife and I did? We realized that we, we were struggling with that idea of safety. We didn't feel safe with one another early into marriage, felt like we were going to get shot at by comments. If I said something incorrectly, I was going to be corrected for it, or maybe there's going to be some 
backhanded compliment or maybe there's going to be some passive aggressive statement. And one of the fastest ways that that showed up in our marriage was sarcasm. My wife and I were very quick with each other and very sarcastic with each other. And it created a sense of uneasiness. You know what I, I mean. You've been in those situations where somebody says something sarcastic and you don't know, are you being honest? Are you, am I supposed to laugh at that? I don't know what you're saying. That's not safety. That's uneasy. So my wife and I just said, no more sarcasm. No more sarcasm. It's not beneficial. It's not helpful. And even if she and I were fine with it, when we had other people around us and we would be sarcastic with each other, they would get uneasy and uncomfortable. And so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, tells us that every word that we say needs to give grace to all who hear. It wasn't giving grace. So we just said, stop. Stop sarcasm. You need to be your wife's biggest fan, biggest supporter, and biggest encourager. Cherishing delights in our spouse, cherishing esteems our spouse with highest honor. Number three, cherishing fixates on the good. Cherishing fixates on the good. Song of Solomon, just write it down. We don't have time to turn there. Song of Solomon, uh, chapter four, verse seven. Song of Songs four, verse seven. Solomon says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. There's no blemish in you. You're perfect. Now, obviously, are any of us perfect? No, we are sinners. We're not perfect. But what Solomon is saying is, I'm not looking at or staring at or fixating on what I wish were different. I'm just staring at what I love. I cherish you and I fixate on the good cherishing celebrates the best in someone. And by the way, that changes them. I love in Song of Songs chapter one, the wife says, I'm ugly, don't look at me. I'm hideous. I've been working out in the fields. I'm not beautiful. And he keeps saying, you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. In chapter two, verse one, she says, I'm like a rose. I'm beautiful. So she begins by saying, I'm ugly. She hears what he's saying and begins to see herself in light of her words. And it changes her. Cherishing changes somebody. I know for me, when my wife cherishes something about me, fixates on something good in me, I just want to be more of what she cherishes. One of the reasons why I believe that we as husbands especially struggle so much with cherishing our wives is because we are so quick to point out their faults, to stare at their failures and to criticize them for it. Sometimes I think that people erroneously think that they are mature in their marriage because they see every fault of their spouse and they're quick to point it out. That somehow that's maturity. Brothers and sisters, that's the opposite of maturity. Maturity is love covering a multitude of sins. Proverbs 19, verse 11, a man's discretion makes him slow to anger and it is, it is his glory to overlook a transgression. It is your glory to overlook a fault. So if you think you are more spiritually mature or more spiritually stronger than your spouse, here's what I know about you. You're comparing yourself to your spouse instead of comparing yourself to Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you should compare yourself with your spouse. You should compare yourself with Jesus and that will humiliate you at the foot of the cross. So if you are just staring at the faults of your spouse, you are allowing your wife's stumbling and faults to affect your cherishing and you're going to be in deep trouble. Your ability to cherish your wife when they are struggling 
is a direct barometer of your spiritual maturity. Our maturity is defined in large part by our ability to graciously bear the immaturities of others. You know that you're growing in maturity when you can be joyful and gracious around immature people. So cherishing doesn't stare at the problem. Cherishing stares at the person behind the problems. The opposite of this in marriage is when you're just scanning for faults always, 24-7. You're just looking to criticize. First of all, pragmatically, that never helps anything. If you're looking to criticize for the point of them growing, you're criticizing them will actually make them grow weaker. So it doesn't help anything. But secondly, you should be scanning the situation in your marriage to find areas that you're thankful for, that you love. Cherishing fixates on the good. If I were to ask you this morning, what makes your marriage difficult? What makes your marriage difficult? I don't think many of us would say, you know what, that's a hard question. Give me a half hour, I gotta think about that. I think we'd all go, oh, seven things, here you go. But if I were to say, what do you cherish most about your marriage? I think that's when we'd go, oh, I gotta think about that. It should be the other way around, right? When somebody says, what's most difficult in your marriage, you should have to go, I have to think about that because I don't really dwell on those things. As opposed to saying, what do you cherish most about your marriage? And you go, oh, I could list a thousand things. I could list a thousand things. You promised at the altar that you would cherish your wife. And so my question, husbands, is are you keeping that promise? Again, I believe that our wives feel judged all the time, maybe feel ignored by their friends, maybe feel like their kids don't appreciate them. You and I need to cut through all of that and be the biggest supporters and encouragers of our wives in the world. We need a new mindset. We need a new mindset. We need to go back. Remember in the Garden of Eden? I love Adam and Eve in the Garden. God makes Eve for Adam. And the first thing Eve does when he wa- or the first thing Adam does when he wakes up and he sees Eve is he sings. He's so excited. He sings over her. And there's no comparison. There's no, I wish you were this way because there's no one else. (laughs) Brothers, we need to go back to that mindset of the Garden of Eden. There's nobody else out there. We're not trying to compare to anybody else. Our wives, as Solomon said, they're unique, one of a kind, and there's nobody else I want but her. We need to be committed to contentment, not to comparing. So practically, husbands, can I tell you, one of the best ways to do this, write down every day, write down one thing that you love about your wife every day. That will start fixating in your mind the good things. You're looking for them. You know you're going to write something down. Write it down every day. Something that you absolutely adore about your wife. Now, this is not blind infatuation. I'm not saying that you don't ever see the faults or you don't ever speak to the faults. Blind infatuation is when you're missing all the weaknesses that everybody around you sees. So what we say to dating couples a lot, right? Love is blind. You don't see the bad things that we see. That's not what I'm asking for. That actually needs to die because if you are in a relationship where you don't see anything that's bad, you've made up a person, right? That person's not even real. So you need to see the bad. But you want to cultivate gratitude and gratefulness by fixating on the good more than you would ever cultivate bitterness and accusation by fixing on the bad. Don't dwell on the worst. Dwell on the best. And by the way, don't be surprised When your feelings towards your spouse follow your meditation and your thinking. If you are thinking almost always about the bad stuff, no wonder you feel like you're in a horrible marriage. 
So the more time you spend thanking God for the amazing things about your spouse, the less you'll be complaining about what you wish would change. Cherish delights in our spouse. Cherish esteems our spouse with highest honor. Cherish fixates on the good. And finally, number four, cherishing humbly takes initiative. Cherishing humbly takes initiative. You cannot cherish. Husbands, you cannot cherish your wives if you are not humble. You cannot cherish your wife if you are obsessed with pleasing yourself. That's why I loved the song that we sang, not my will, but yours be done. That should be our response. That should be our prayer every morning to the Lord and then to our spouse. God, not my will, but yours be done. And what is God's will for us? Husbands, die, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and died for her. So every day we should wake up saying, Patrick dies, Hannah lives, whatever she wants, that's what I'm doing. You can't cherish your wife if you're obsessed about pleasing yourself. Practice humility. Practice humility. Don't, the, the lust for being served cannot be satisfied. You cannot have your wife serve you enough to be satisfied and say, thank you, I'm done. Because what you would be asking your wife to do is serve you in the capacity that only God can do. You cannot be satisfied by a, a human. You can only be satisfied spiritually and eternally by God himself. So don't place that on your spouse. You'll never be noticed enough, appreciated enough. That's God's job. Leave it to God to do that. Don't look to your spouse to do that. Instead, serve her, sacrifice for her. Love her. I heard a orchestra conductor one time say that it's super easy to find a good first violinist, the person who kind of chairs the whole violin department. They're the leader for all the violins. He said it's incredibly challenging to find a second chair violinist, the person who takes a back seat to first chair violin. Second violin is a lot harder to play. Why? Is it harder to play musically? Nope. It's harder to play because you're not as recognized. Husbands, we are the second violinists. We can just, we can all say our wives are so much better than us, right? Let's just be honest. Every single one of us married up. Every single one of us husbands, our wives are beyond how amazing we could have possibly thought they were when we married them. So husbands, our jobs it's so easy. It's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. Die to yourself in the morning and live to serve her. This, by the way, it's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. The Bible absolutely says, 1 Peter chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible absolutely says, wives are to submit to their husbands. Again, another sermon for another time. But I would encourage you with a couple things. Number one, husbands, our job is to make that easy for our wives. Our job is not to lord that authority over them and say, you must submit to me. And if you've ever done premarital counseling with us, or if you've ever done marriage counseling with us, you know, I've never said that to my wife. I've never told Hannah, you need to submit to me. And guys, I never will. Maybe you can in a righteous way. I don't think I can. Because if I say, you need to submit to me, what I'm doing is being lazy. I haven't wooed her to my position. I haven't heard her position. We haven't compromised together. We haven't found common ground. And ultimately I'm forcing her to do something when submission is a willful choice on her own to say, I will choose to submit to Patrick as I submit to the Lord. So I'm, I'm never gonna tell my wife, you need to submit. That's just me throwing the trump card down and saying, you know what, end of conversation, you need to submit. No, 
She is her own person before the Lord with the Holy Spirit. She'll get there when she wants to get there before the Lord. And in the meantime, I'm going to die to myself and love her and serve her as self-sacrificially as I possibly can. So cherishing humbly takes initiative. We do lead, but we lead by dying. We don't lead by lording authority over our wives. We don't lead by throwing that trump card down of you need to submit to me. We lead by just practical example. If I say something to Hannah says, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't go submit to me. I say, why? I need to know. I'm blind. I don't know what I'm seeing here or what I'm not seeing. You're seeing something. You're way more intuitive than I am. What is it that you're seeing? And I need to understand. And so I'm listening and she's over here. I'm over here. And we slowly come together. We start to understand each other. We start to understand what's going on. And so at the end of the day, yes, there are going to be things that I say, I think that we have to make this decision and we make it, but we make it together. We make it corroborating together. We're a team. And so I'm never just going to say no more. We're just doing this. If that happens in your marriage, then you really are just valuing your spouse for what they do. Submit to me. That's just, you turn her into an employee. She works for your family's organization. She's just an employee instead of an heir to grace with you. So cherishing humbly takes initiative. So we've asked two questions. How would we define cherishing? And what does it look like lived out? There are so many more ideas here. I had about 13 of them when I began. I knew we wouldn't get through all of them. Uh, so we just picked four. Question number three. How do we apply this today? Can I just say two things? Just in closing, how do we apply these truths today? Number one, do something. Number one, do something. Apathy is one of the worst wounds that a spouse can inflict. It's just the worst. Ah, this is the way it is. Oh, well. No, husbands, can I plead with you? Go home today and do a couple things, okay? Go home today. Number one, ask your wife after you've heard. So first of all, be interested in her. Don't go home and you know, look at your phone, look at scores of games, watch golf. Don't do that. Go home, put everything away. Say, kids, go away. And say, I just want to talk with mom. And look her in the eyes and don't be distracted and say, tell me everything about the retreat. I want to hear your car ride up. I want to hear what were the meals like. I want to hear what you guys talked about. Who was somebody you connected with that you haven't really connected with? What was your favorite session? Just ask questions. Be interested in her. Then she might say, how was church today? You could say, you know what? Thanks for asking. I have a question I want to ask you. What do I do that makes you feel cherished? And again, hopefully for some of you, your wife's jaw will just drop. What do I do that makes you feel cherished? You might have to define that for her. You might have to turn to these passages. You might have to show her your notes. What do I do that doesn't make you feel cherished? What could, I be getting, what could I begin doing today that would make you feel cherished? When have you felt most cherished by me? Go through the four points with her. Say, I'm an open book and I need to change. And if there is one thing that you could tell me that I could change and you knew I wouldn't respond in anger or impatience, what would it be? Ask her. Go through those four points with her. Ask her to rate you. I do this with my kids, a little focus on the family uh, dad chart. It's a rating chart for kids. And so I give it to them and they, they rate me on a one to four system on how well I'm doing as a dad. 
And it's so much fun talking with them about it. It's incredibly humiliating, but it's so much fun. Here's what I would encourage you. To admit that you don't know the answers to the questions that I'm asking you to ask your wives, that's not failure. In fact, failure would be not admitting that you don't know. If you start with the assumption that you don't know how to cherish your spouse the way that would truly communicate that to her, then you'll go much further in eventually excelling in cherishing her. Guys, take the long approach. You're going to be married till death do you part. You got decades to figure this out. So just start today. Do something. And if you're going to learn how to cherish your spouse the way that they desire, not the way that you think it would work best, you're probably going to have to become good at things that you're really bad at right now. That's so good. That's so good because it changes you. It molds you. It shapes you. I would just say this. If you don't do something today and you choose the path of apathy, your marriage will get worse. And in the words of one of my favorite artists, forever is a long time to be sad. Change today and start growing in a happy, life-giving marriage. But secondly, and this is where we have to end, the second thing that I would ask all of us to do when we're talking about how do we apply cherishing today, the second thing is look to Christ. Look to Christ. The foundation of cherishing love is the gospel. Think of how Jesus loved us. We sang it. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. How did Jesus love us? Did he cherish us because we're amazing? No. Did he wait to cherish us until he saved us? No. He set his love upon us. He did this with Old Testament Israel, Ezekiel chapter 16. He set his love on her and she felt his cherishing love and she was transformed. We have the exact same thing that happens to us. Even in Ephesians, the whole book is, first half is the indicatives of what Jesus has done. Second half is the imperatives of now what do we do? We live differently because of what Christ has done for us, through us. We weren't lovely. We weren't his friends. He pursued us. He loved us. And he cherishes us even to this day, knowing that we're going to keep failing him until we see him face to face. But he doesn't say, get your acts together. Hurry up. Why are you still the way you are? Because we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. He says over us, you are my beloved son or my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's why I say, husbands, love your wives the way you are loved by Jesus. Let her feel some sense of Christ's pleasure for her in your pleasure for her. And love her and point her to Jesus until the day that you both see him face to face. Father, we thank you so much for our time in your word. I pray that we would do something, that we would go from here and ask great questions, be completely enthralled by our wives as we get to see them. I pray for those in this room that are not married, that they would see the kind of man that they want to marry, that they would see the reality of what marriage looks like if the gospel is the center of everything. God, I just pray that you would grow in our church marriages that would be so filled with peace and love and joy and harmony. Sure, there are difficult days, absolutely. But the other person is never the enemy. The enemy is sin, and that has been done away with at the cross, and so we get to work on this together. God, I just pray that you would encourage us. Even now as we sing of the deep, deep love of Jesus May we be reminded of the way that he has loved us and therefore live that out with our spouses today. 
to love them with that kind of deep, deep love and serve them the way that he served us until the day that we see you face to face. We pray in your name. Amen.